From BetaCell and JDRF, this is Lunch Break, the midday live streaming show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm your host, Craig Steubing. We have people watching on BetaCell's Facebook page and JDRF's Twitch channel. We'll be taking questions from our viewers at the end of the show, so send them our way in the chat and we'll get to them at the end. I'm here today with Kiri Cheney from San Diego, California. How is San Diego doing? It is beautiful today. Yeah. It's empty, but beautiful. I'm, I'm sad that we're, I'm forcing you st to be stuck inside, but I, I guess know. that's kind of the rules anyways. You'd it be is, stuck inside. Yeah. You were diagnosed at 26 years old. Yes. Maybe the mo not, not most uncommon thing, right? Many people are diagnosed 26 years old, but you weren't in the U.S., at the time that this happened? Well, you were diagnosed in the U.S., but yes. symptoms, where were you? I was in, do you want the story? <laughs> yeah, give me give me the elevator pitch. And give, yeah, so we were in the middle of our son's adoption in Uganda, and we thought we'd be there for about three months to complete the process in order to get his visa and then bring him back home. And uh, during that time, I just felt, you know, at first, like really tired. And I just thought, oh, well, that's normal. Like, you know, we're not getting good sleep. He's not sleeping at night. Uh, we're eating different food. You know, we're in a different country. Like there's just so much that wasn't a part of our regular day routine. And so, you know, I kind of chalked it up to being a new mom. And, um, you know, the symptoms started to turn into like fatigue. Like I couldn't get off the couch. And then I was drinking a ton of water but I mean, it's really hot in Uganda. So we just kind of thought, well, it's really hot out. So of course we're thirsty. And if you're drinking a lot of water, of course you pee all the time. So I didn't really think anything of it. You know, like my whole life I had been really healthy. I never really had any kind of health issues. So to me, I just was like, I'm really tired and, you know, don't feel good. And um, my symptoms just got worse and worse. And that's when I was told that I had parasites, which is very common in Uganda. And, you know, I got to the point where, like, I couldn't even hold a conversation anymore. Like, even just to talk with somebody felt so exhausting. And I couldn't get off the couch. I couldn't pick my son up anymore. I would, like, fall out of bed in the middle of the night just trying to, like, get him out of his crib if he was crying. I was so weak. And I was like, I have to go home. Like, I can't stay here feeling like this. Like, so I flew back to the States. And I thought if I could just see my doctor and get some like American medicine, maybe it'll be a little different and I'll feel better and I'll be back, you know, in like two weeks time. And I came here, saw my doctor, kept treating parasites, kept getting worse. And then that's when I ended up in a coma and was diagnosed with type one, not parasites. <laughs> About how long do you think, you know, you were starting from the, from the moment you started exhibiting symptoms? So, it's a good question. So now that I know what the symptoms are, I honestly can see the symptoms for years leading up to it. Like I struggled to put on weight. You know, people would make fun of me and just say like, Kiri, like eat more food. And I ate a ton. And I just, I was always like built, you know, thinner and like a, I'm tall, but like a smaller frame. And, you know, people are like, eat a hamburger or like eat something. And I just like could never seem to like put on weight. I was thirsty all the time, but I just thought that was like normal as being a human. Like you just, you drink water. And <laughs> I remember there was one day um, before we had gone to Uganda and I was sitting in a parking lot in my car about to get out. And I remember watching people walk by, like walking into the store. And I thought, how are they walking into the store without a water bottle? 
Like, mm. do they just not get thirsty? And it, but it, ne- it never occurred to me that like thirst was a symptom of something serious. And so, yeah. yeah, I see it for a long time leading up to it, but really I would say like the two, three months before is when like the symptoms were pretty severe. I remember the thirst as well. I think that's the most vivid symptom to me. I mean, fatigue, you know, I don't really remember because I was sleeping, but it got to the point before I was diagnosed that my mouth would get so dry. It was like I couldn't even talk without drinking water. It was was like completely parched. Like I had been in the desert, you know, for months without water. And I just like, I needed a a sip of something. Just to like say that, tell someone that I need water. It was, yeah, it, but I guess if you don't know the symptoms, like you said, it doesn't seem like anything. Like these little things kind of don't add up to diabetes unless you know that it's diabetes. It's just totally life. Yeah. I mean, so in Uganda, like there was no washing machine, there's no dryer. So you hand wash all your clothes and then you like hang them out to dry. And so, I always felt like my clothes needed to go in the dryer to kind of shrink back up after being washed. And my clothes started fitting more loosely. And I just thought, oh, it's because we're not drying our clothes. Like they're getting really stretched because you're Mm. scrubbing them so hard to get them clean. Um, But we didn't have a mirror in our house. So I never even really saw myself like other than this one little square mirror for your face. Like we didn't have any kind of long, tall mirrors. So I never saw that my body was like withering away. Yeah. So now that I look back, I see all these little, you know, things that made up one big diagnosis and they all make sense now. But, you know, at the time it was really easy to put it onto something else like, oh, we were tired or, you know. Yeah. And so when you got that diagnosis, what did that feel like? I feel like I was hit by like a truck or a train or maybe both. Um, it was so hard. You know, we were in the middle of adopting our son who was really sick. I mean, blood transfusions were the only thing keeping him alive. And then to hear this diagnosis while I was here, my husband was in Uganda trying to get my son a blood transfusion before he could even get on a plane to come back here. And I didn't know what diabetes was, or I had heard the word diabetes, but I didn't know the difference between type one and type two. And so I just was like, no, I don't have that. Like I was in Uganda. I have parasites. Like we're going to get rid of them. I'm going to be back to normal. And, you know, they just come in and they're like, you're going to have to take shots for the rest of your life. And like, here's all the things that you can't do anymore. And I just, it was so overwhelming, you know, especially for me, I just felt like I was always really passionate about like exercising and eating healthy. So it was just like this shock to hear the word diabetes and, also that it wasn't ever going to go away. So it was, it was hard. I didn't know anybody with type one. So I felt lonely. I had, I didn't know who to go to. It wasn't like, Oh, you know, my friend around the corner, like they've got type one. I can go ask them some questions. I just, it was like Google became my friend, but also my enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. it, It was heavy, you know, being, 26 and like going 26 years knowing what it's like to live without it and then all of a sudden like your whole life changes in an instant it was pretty hard and then uh you have a blog yes at what point did you decide to tell people that you had gotten type one was that a hard decision to come to 
I knew that I would. I just knew that I needed some time to even process like what all of this meant, like what was happening with our family, like how was I even going to get back to Uganda? Like I knew that so many questions were going to come along with like, well, what's next? And um, just trying to figure out what di- what it looked like to live with diabetes and you know, so much of life had changed. And so it took me probably about two weeks to like really share that news with, I guess, the world because people had really been along this journey with us as we were adopting our son and, you know, anxiously like waiting for us to return home with him. And so all of a sudden I get diabetes and it's like, well, what happens now? So it took me about two weeks to like feel like I could talk about it. You know, there was there's so much misunderstanding between type one and type two. And I just was so like nervous about what people were going to say, like, Oh, did you eat unhealthy? Like it was your fault. And I didn't want that. And so once I like felt like I was ready to talk about it, it was like people came out of the woodwork and they're like, I have type one or my son has type one, like total strangers, like just like, pulled me in and gave me like this big, like virtual hug. It felt like, and honestly, that was like the best thing is, you know, what carried us through that time in Uganda was just finding community through social media was really the only way we could do that in Uganda. Cause it's not like there were people there that had type one that we could really connect with. And so just finding people that were on the same journey as myself was like really healing for me. Yeah. Did you leave the hospital feeling like you can manage this yourself? Yes and no. So I'm like the go-getter. Like in school, I always wanted to do 110%. um, I want to do things really well. And so I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be awesome at it. But it also felt overwhelming because I didn't know (laughs) all that went into it. Um, and I remember like one of the most frustrating feelings was I was still in the hospital and they came in and they were like, you know, rambling off these numbers to me of, you know, like blood work and stuff. And to me, it meant nothing because I didn't understand the context. I didn't know what those numbers were supposed to be. And they're like, so your A1C is 14.1, but it needs to be under seven. And I don't think I had ever felt so frustrated, like with my own body that like, Normally, if somebody tells me to do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it really well and it's going to be perfect. And and to like hear her say that like my numbers were not where they were supposed to be, but there was nothing in that moment that I could have done to just change it was so frustrating. And I mean, over time, I started to understand like <laughs> how it all works, but um, I was so scared leaving the hospital. Like they had done everything for me, you know, for almost a week. And all of a sudden they're like, here's a couple worksheets and good luck. And they wheel you out and put you in your car. And I was like, what if I mess up? Like, I I have so many questions. Like, what am I supposed to do? And I just remember I kept Googling things like, what do I do when, what does this mean? What is this number? Like, you know, trying to understand how to count carbs. And so it it took a while to like get into a rhythm and it felt really overwhelming, I guess maybe because I had no exposure to type one up until that point. So, but now that I'm down the road, I can say like, it really does get easier. Like 
you figure it out. It doesn't go away. Like there's still really hard days, but I feel like we've gotten into a rhythm, you know, to make life feel as normal as possible. I think that's the hard part about type one. You can, you can kind of learn the rules and you kind of becomes a little more intuitive and maybe instinctive what you have to do, but it's still just as much work, you know, <laughs> years later than it, than it is day one. Like you, you still have to test your blood sugar or check your Dexcom just as much, take as much insulin, count the carbs the same way. You're maybe a little quicker at it and maybe you're used to doing it so you don't yeah. realize it's so much work. But it's it's the same amount of work, right? <laughs> Still there. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't gone away. Nobody's doing it for me. <laughs> and I think people don't who don't have under, who don't have type one don't really understand how much work we're actually doing behind the scenes. Like they see when you pull out the needle and give the shot, and they think that's all the work. Like it's mm-hmm. oh, every time you eat, you just give a shot and you're done. Yeah. And there's a lot leading up to that shot, and then after that shot, where you keep thinking. Was that right? Yeah. Should I have done a little more? Should I have done a little yeah. less? You know, which way is the Dexcom going? Yeah. Yep. And so you're getting used to this new, overwhelming, life-changing disease. And then you get a call or a text from a friend in Africa? Yes. So this was two months after I was diagnosed. My husband had came back to the States, like helped me get back on my feet and just kind of like figure out how to do this um, to where I could like be by myself again. Um, And then he went back to Uganda to be with our son. And I was just here. I mean, my A1C was so high. My body was in such bad shape that like I couldn't drive for weeks. Like, you know, my vision was so bad. It's come back to normal now, thankfully. But um, I mean, even till for weeks, it was exhausting just to walk around the house. And so it took me time to like feel like I could function again. And so two months after I was diagnosed, um, we were told about a little girl who had just been diagnosed in Uganda with type one. And I mean, the fact that she was even diagnosed was a total miracle because it often gets, you know, misdiagnosed as like malaria, which is very common because the symptoms can kind of look the same. I mean, basically like you start losing weight and you're really sick. and um, But if you treat malaria when you actually have type 1, that, you know, doesn't end well. And so it's just, it blows my mind that she was even diagnosed. And so, you know, there's just not a lot of resources there. There's not a lot of education. There's not a lot of awareness. And so uh, she needed a foster family immediately. And so Justin took her in my husband, Mm. and was taking care of two kids while I was, like, trying to get, you know, supplies together and, like, repack my bags and make sure that, like, I would be set to, like, travel back to Uganda to be there for, like, an unknown amount of time. And what is the state of diabetes care in Uganda? I mean, it's almost non-existent. I think there's, like four endocrinologists in the whole country. Um, We would have to like hire a driver because you don't have a car there. And so like to get around town, you would just take a Boda, which is like you hop on the back of a motorcycle and somebody drives you around. But to go to the capital, you would have to like hire a driver and drive, you know, anywhere from three to five hours, depending on how the roads and traffic was. Um, 
to see, you know, to get to like a bigger hospital, even though that was nothing like what hospitals are here. So most people understand diabetes in Uganda as type two, and they call it sugar diabetes because you ate a lot of sugar to get it is kind of how they reference it. And so trying to explain to doctors or to people like, oh, so this is type one. They're like, oh, so like you give here too much sugar. And I was like, no, that's not how it worked. And, um, you know, even the medical professionals didn't really understand. Yeah. And so the treatment for type one and type two is so different, obviously. And so what happens in Uganda most of the time is if somebody's diagnosed with diabetes, they just automatically put them on something like a metformin. And that's it. And that only lasts for, you know, so long because you have to be taking insulin. And so it's a total miracle that she got the right diagnosis. And just the way we were brought together is so wild. But I mean, it's like, it's so weird. Like, it's hard to talk about it. Like, how do I, it's hard to put words to like, it's so beautiful that like we were brought together, even though it took two really painful experiences, you know, yeah. to make that happen. So what is it like for you trying to, you know, two months with diabetes isn't very much, right? <laughs> um, so you're trying to learn how to live with this disease, you know, transition from 26 years without type one to now having type one. And now you've got a daughter who was just diagnosed who knows nothing about type one either. How do you begin to manage that? Like, how do you manage someone else and yourself when you don't even really understand it that well? I don't know. Honestly, (laughs) it's a miracle that (laughs) we've made it this far. Um, I remember I bought a couple books online before I was heading back to Uganda and I brought those and I had started to like find Facebook groups where I could ask questions because I'm like, I don't feel like Google's always giving me answers. Like maybe people who actually live with this can help. And I just did so much reading, so much research, like so that I could understand what diabetes was. And I felt like if I could understand what diabetes was, then it would make me feel a little bit more empowered because I didn't feel like I was going to get that those resources in Uganda And being 9,000 miles away was really hard. Like, I couldn't just call up my doctor, like, from Uganda. You know, I couldn't go to some type 1 meetup, you know. And so, (laughs) I really relied on just the online diabetes community and books. And, I mean, it was really cool that we got to do everything together. Like, we were only diagnosed two months apart. So, it was like we were kind of running out the gate together. So, it was... A lot of trial and error, a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes, you know, until you start to understand what this really looks like. And, you know, Zola didn't speak any English at all. So that made it a lot harder and trying to convey to her, like, why I'm pricking her finger, why I'm giving her shots all day and why you can't eat that. Or like, now you have to eat, even if you might not be hungry. And um, it was it was a lot to take on. And now looking back, I'm like, that really was like (laughs) a lot thrown on our plate at one time. But, you know, I'm so glad like where we are now and just feeling more confident in managing diabetes. And, you know, obviously she wouldn't be a part of our family, like if I wasn't diagnosed, but I 
Like, I love that I get to model for her, like, what this looks like. And, you know, I know that she watches me. She she watches how I talk about diabetes. She watches how I live with it. And I, I mean, to the best of my ability, I try to, like, really paint that in a positive light for her. Not negating how hard it is, but also, like, it doesn't have to slow you down. It doesn't have to stop you from running after big dreams. Like, it doesn't have to stop you from you know, travel or family or anything like that. So it's been, you know, a cool journey to do together. (laughs) Cool also meaning that (laughs) it's been really hard. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty unique in the sense that I don't know many other families where the mom and daughter or a parent and a child are both diagnosed virtually at the same time and are figuring it out together. You know, usually there's a, if, if they're both diagnosed, there's a, uh, a gap, right? A year, yes. a couple years. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. I mean, I remember searching like YouTube videos in Uganda, like on how to do things on what words were like, you know, there's like diabetes slang and I'm like, what are these words people are talking about? I don't know. <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah, it was, it's been a journey, but I'm just, I'm so proud of her. She has come so far. Like now that you talk to her, like you'd never know that she didn't speak English and she just has like taken diabetes by the horns and she just does it. Like people watch her and they're like, what is she doing? Like all by herself. Like, you know, she was giving herself shots like six months in, like totally by her choice. Like she wanted to do it. And so I'm just so proud of like how far she's come. Yeah. So it's been about five years, right? How, how much of her management can she do herself? So that is one of those things that like you just learn as you go. And I want it to be very much like, I want her to take as much as she wants to do, but I'm happy to do any of it, all of it, none of it. Like, I don't want her to feel like the burden of diabetes. Like I want her to feel like she can just be a kid, but if she wants to do that, then I want to let her. Um, So Zola, we got her when she was six. Um, we got back to the States when she was seven. And so that was when she really started to s- start learning English. Cause when we were in Uganda, everybody there just spoke to her in her language. So mm-hmm. aside from us, like we were the only ones really speaking English to her. So once we got back to the States, she was seven and just learning English. So she is a little behind in school. Like she's catching up. Um, so as far as like math calculations. Like I don't let her do those on her own. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she just started using the tandem T slim pump, uh, like two months ago, I think. Wow. January she started. Um, and so I let her push all the buttons. I let her do all of that. I just tell her like what to enter on there as far as like how many carbs she's eating. Um, just this last week, I now let her like correct her blood sugar on her own. So if she, if she hears it beep um, and she knows that she's high, like the pump is going to say like if you need a correction or not. So that's nice. So she can't like necessarily give herself a correction if the pump, if she doesn't need it. And so like if she's playing outside, I've, you know, I'm like, if you hear it beeping and you're high, type in your number. And if it tells you that you need a correction, like you can go ahead and dose it. And um, I think that's just, we've been doing these little steps here and there to give her more independence so that she can like go out and I'm not constantly like, Hey, let me check your blood sugar. Let me check your blood sugar. You know, like, so, but I also like, I want to 
take as much off her plate as I can that she doesn't want to have to do so that she isn't necessarily thinking about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of that, how are her feelings for type one? Does she feel weird or is it maybe easier for her to have it because you have it too? She knows someone. I mean, she's never really had diabetes without somebody with like without me. And so it's hard. It's not like you can compare, but I will say, I think from my perspective, watching as her mom, I think it makes it so much easier for her knowing that like, she doesn't have to put on a Dexcom by herself. She doesn't have to, you know, get poked in the middle of the night. You know, all the things that you hate about diabetes, like she knows that I know those things too. And I've, I've done them first. I've like showed her how it works before she's ever had to do it. And um, I mean, no kid wants to have diabetes, but she just, she runs like she's, she's going to do life. And like diabetes is also like kind of there in her pocket that we have to like manage, but she plays with friends. Like she plays sports. Like she does things that any other kid would do obviously with a little bit more work, but she is just like joyful. She's playful. She has like the most infectious, like loud laugh. And, um, you know, she doesn't talk about every once in a while. She'll be like, I don't like diabetes. Like, you know, maybe if like we had a bad sight or if, you know, her blood sugar is high or something, but I mean, it's very rare that she talks about not liking it. And I think that I've tried really hard to like not necessarily talk about diabetes in like a positive way. Like it's this great thing, but just really trying to focus on the things in our life that we have because of diabetes. And the more that I can do that, I think the more that she sees it and then she'll do that. Um, I won't say that I do it perfect all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Has it been hard transitioning now being stuck at home? Uh, You know, all this disruption in your life. How have you, I don't know, how has that changed your lives and how have you had to change how you manage type one to fit that? Yeah, so um, I actually homeschool both of our kids. So as far as school purposes, like we've done school at home already. I mean, we don't necessarily do school at home in the normal day. Like we do a lot of school out and about. We have activities, we have, you know, other groups we get together with. Um, But as far as me teaching the kids, that hasn't changed Um, but we like, my kids are so social, like they both play soccer. Um, you know, Zola's two best friends. One is type one. The other one has a brother with type one. And we spend most of our time with it and they're both homeschooling families. So, um, all of our like routine has definitely like got thrown out the window. Um, I will say like, I'm really proud of them for how they're handling it, like for not being able to go out. And so, you know, we have FaceTime play dates and, you know, we are trying to make it work. Like they're definitely bummed. And, you know, you can tell that there's meltdowns more so from the little one, like who just really misses his structure and his routine and friends. But um, we definitely snack a lot more than we used to. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're all snacking a little more than we used to. I think it's like... I remember, you know, you get the clarity report for your Dexcom like every Sunday night or whatever. And I remember, I think it had gone, my time and range went down like 10%. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I was like, I think because we're all just sitting around eating and not 
exercising and doing anything. So we try and go out for like a bike ride every day or like a walk. Um, we have a yard, thankfully, so the kids can like jump on the trampoline. But, you know, our days definitely look way different than they normally do. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the online community a bit, how that's helped you transition to having type one to raising a kid with type one while you have type one. Yeah. Uh, has that come in? Has that been helpful during this sort of lockdown? Have you been reaching yeah. out to the type one community? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think when I was first diagnosed and, you know, very shortly after that, went back to Uganda, I that was kind of like how I started to meet people with diabetes. And I realized like how important that was in like our family's life um, and how much we personally needed that. And so I feel like we've carried that, you know, very close to our hearts for the last five years. And now that everybody's kind of stuck at home, I'm so like, I knew that the online community was really important to me. And now that like, we can't be with those friends that we normally see like almost on an everyday basis. Um, it has just been such a reminder of like how important those friendships are because, you know, I feel like diabetes feels easier when you're doing it with a friend or with somebody else, because, you know, you don't have to explain yourself. They understand what you're going through. Um, you know, you don't have to explain a bad day. Like they know what a bad day feels like. And, so now um, just trying to do that online through FaceTime and, you know, videos and different fun games and activities, you know, Zoom meetups and stuff. Um, it's been so important for us just to feel like we're staying connected as best as we can. I really don't think there's much more we can do, you know, without being able to be with people in person. But it's been so good just knowing like, it, you know, diabetes feels lonely. Like if you don't have somebody else that like understands that part of your life. And so... I think my biggest thing for like people who are newly diagnosed is like when you're ready, like jump in or like even find one person that like can be your person. And I mean, over the last five years, I've met a lot of people with type one and all of like the majority of my closest friends now all have type one or are like a type one parent. And so, you know, it's not it's not, it doesn't make up who we are. It's like diabetes doesn't define who I am, but having those friendships for myself has been really important for like my own mental health. But also I see that for my daughter, like, you know, to know, like just yesterday she was FaceTiming her best friend who her brother has type one and they haven't got to see each other for the last, you know, over a month now. And her best friend like put on a pump site, like to support her to say like, oh. I know what it feels like for you. And so yeah, it's been, you know, it keeps our heads up. It keeps us smiling. We're definitely ready to like, <laughs> you know, see people in person. But I'm really thankful that the diabetes community, like the online community is there and it exists so that when things like this happen, like we have something to like fall back onto. And there's still like, you know, a lot of support. Absolutely. We're almost out of time, but we have a question. If you know of any groups uh, in Uganda that are raising type 1 awareness or helping out type 1s in any way. Yes. So there is the Sonia Nabeta Foundation, um, and I can send you like the link to their website if you need help with spelling. Um, they run, and I did not come across them until actually after we came home from Uganda, um, 
because I think it was like just starting up. And so their main thing is trying to provide like resources in different areas to people with type one. Um, and they'll host like camps, like diabetes camps. And the whole goal is to bring people from the area um, and then educate them on how to manage diabetes. And I mean, I guess as best as you can, like connect them with other people, even though, you know, community there looks very different than it does like in America. Um, so they're like the first ones that come to mind and, um, I love what they're doing, which is really amazing. That is amazing. Well, luckily we have all this technology that no matter where you are in the world now, there's some way to get in touch with someone. Yes. Yeah. I mean, here for sure. Uganda was a little different, but yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, well, that's all the time we have for today. Lunch Break is a production of Beta Cell, and it's produced by me, Craig Steubing. Thanks to everyone watching on Facebook and Twitch. We'll be doing episodes every day this week at noon, which is only one more day. It's just tomorrow. So tune in and watch live, or you can hear it the next day on the podcast. Our website is betacellpodcast.com. There you can find every episode of all of the Beta Cell shows if you want to listen to something else besides the news while you're stuck at home. And JDRF is the leading global organization funding type 1 diabetes research. They need your help to do the important work of improving the lives of people with type 1. You can get involved with your local chapter or donate at JDRF.org. And if you're watching on Twitch, there's a donate button there too. Lastly, Kiri, uh, you post lots of recipes on your blog and Instagram. (laughs) So we're all stuck at home. We have limited food. Um, What's something tasty we can make what do you recommend it's going to be easy and make us feel good okay so if people already follow us on instagram they know we talk about this a lot but chicken tortilla soup this has been like our favorite we do it in the instant pot so it takes six minutes to cook um most of the ingredients are like you know pantry shelf friendly so they can stay on the shelf the only thing is like we pull like frozen chicken out once we need it Mm -hmm. um it's super fast. It's super filling. It's easy on blood sugar. Um, everybody in the house loves it. You can throw whatever on top you want. Um, that's our go-to right now because it makes lots of leftovers, keeps us full for the week. Um, so I would say that would be our number one thing. Um, and then a lot of snacks here and a lot of popcorn is being eaten. <laughs> Love popcorn. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Kiri. Thank you, everyone, for watching. We will see you tomorrow. Go wash your hands.